الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم مذكر فان الذكر تنفع المؤمنين سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم after doing the 10 mistakes 10 mistakes that a husband is prone to make then there are 10 tips and advices 10 things that a husband should do first thing is that whenever sayyidina rasulullah sallallahu alaihi sunna among Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala narrates that whenever Sayyidina Rasulullah used to enter the home, he used to enter the home with a smile on his face. This is a sunnah of the Prophet so we should enter our home with a smile. And what does it mean? So she's narrating the hadith means that whenever he entered the home, he entered smiling at his wife. Whenever he entered the home, he entered smiling at his wife. Just like we had explained before that the woman should come and meet and greet the husband, the wife should meet and greet the husband at the door to show that it is important to her that he has come home. But just like that, the husband, when he enters the home, he should show that just by entering into this door is an act of joy for him. Just entering into the home is a feeling of happiness for him. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make dua upon leaving the home, dua upon entering the home. It was a feeling. So we have to put ourselves in that feeling that I have come home, I have come to my partner at home, that the woman should feel that when my husband walks in that door, he also feels that he's come home to me. I should stand there to give him the feeling that he has come home to me, but he also should walk in and express that he has come home to me. In fact, in another hadith, Sayyidina Aisha Badilda, she said that when one of the women asked her what was the first thing the Prophet would do when he came home, she said, Miswak, that he would come home smilingly and then do Miswak. So the Mahadithin commented that why would the Prophet do Miswak? That's because he would then affectionately, mm, affectionately kiss his wife, one of the first things he did when he came home. So he went and quickly freshened up so that he would be able to do that in a better or more noble way. So this means that when a person, husband, husband is mu'min man who is following sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, when he comes home he should smile, enter the home smilingly and also display some affection when they enter the home. One other very important thing is that when we enter we should greet our wife with saying salam. This is a sunnah greeting for every mu'min. And what a lot of us do, we neglect this with our own husband and wife. As-salamu alaykum. We should say that to our wife. Every time we meet, we must greet with the Islamic greeting. Many of us, we take that for granted. If you know Urdu, you just walk in and you say, Taji, kaysay, kyaalay. If you know English, you say, hey, what's up, what's going on? You immediately move to the informal greeting, but we deprive ourselves of the barakah of salam. As-salam is one of the asma'al husnum, the names of Allah SWT. And it means here, peace. So actually the greeting is a dua. This greeting is actually a dua. 
So it means that when you begin your meeting and interaction and conversation with du'a, there will be barakah in the time that you spend at home. So to enter smilingly, verbally to say, Assalamu alaikum, and then to have some kind of display of affection, when the husband enters home, he should show his affection to his wife. That first moment of affection will remove all of the worry and waiting of the wife. Because when you begin on a good note, when you begin on a strong note, with dua, with, sal- with salam, which is a dua, and with a smile and with affection, then the wife will be happy. Once our sheikh, there was a couple in America who, who wanted to divorce. And they were very educated people. They were very respectable people. They came from very good families. And they were both individually on the beam. And they came to our sheikh and said, we want to have divorce. So then he asked them, okay, what's the reason? And they just mentioned these arguments, just arguments and arguments and arguments, and we're sick of the arguments. So he told them this one sunnah. He said, okay, I want you to wait a few months, and just promise me you'll do one thing. And the husband said, okay, what? That every time you come home, you're going to say salam, you're going to smile, and you're going to show some affection. Now, obviously, the mood of the husband initially was not to do this, Right? But you can imagine the very first day he visited the wife would have also been stunned that what's happened to this guy. Yesterday we were talking about divorce. Today he's showing me affection when he walks in the door. And sure enough, just this one sunnah, barakah of sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam, just this one piece of advice they came a few months later and says we no longer want divorce, we're happily married again. You have to begin with the right way. To enter into the right way. And some husbands may make this mistake that we're so happy outside the second we enter home we have a stern demeanor. We want to show that the man of the house has entered. Hmm? They say in Urdu, Sariyal Mizaj. I don't know how to explain that in English. Sariyal Mizaj means that the man comes home, the husband comes home and he makes his most stern and ruly demeanor. Tough guy. Tough Baba. Tough Baba has come home. That's what he wants the family to feel. So it shouldn't be like that. They should feel that soft mama has come home. They should feel that their gentle father and husband has come home. So that's the first thing that the husband should do. What does it mean to enter the home with a smile? It means that the husband, the man, has to be strong enough to bury and leave his work at work. You cannot bring those worries home with you. You should not bring those worries, at least initially, you should be such that no matter how difficult a time you had at work, just entering into your home, that act is supposed to remove your worries. Then later on at night, you can talk to your wife about what happened at work and seek her advice and ask her to console you. That is also sunnah. Umm Mu'maneen Khadija radiallahu anha when Sayyidina Rasulullah came back from the cave in Iraq and something traumatic came over him, something he didn't initially understand fully and he was shaking. Right? Zammiluni, Zammiluni, he told that enshroud me and wrap me in the blanket. So yes, a wife is also there for consolation. But unless it's something of extreme proportion like that, you don't bring it up initially. Just the act of being home should be a consolation for you. And later on you can bring up whatever difficulty that happened. Because the wife is she's not responsible for the problems that took place at work. She is not to blame for whatever happened to you at work that you come home in a bad mood and you enter in a bad mood and you start off in a bad mood. So this is the first advice for the husband. Second advice is that the husband should 
appreciate and compliment his wife. He should praise his wife. So this we did for you before, that a woman needs appreciation. But the husband should try to do this literally every single day. And this is difficult for the man. He says, I haven't even prayed. It's been like months since I've praised my wife. Now you want me to do it every day. I'm going to sound fake. That's what the husband's thinking. I'm going to sound fake. It's going to be artificial. No problem. I have no problem with that. Sometimes you have to artificially do something, then it becomes natural. Isn't that our hope in Salah? Hmm? We get up, we're artificially praying. Who is doing zikr of Allah Ta'ala inside their Salah? But our hope is that when we artificially do this, Allah Ta'ala will make it real. Allah Ta'ala will make it spiritual. So this is called in Arabic tekalluf. Not the Urdu tekalluf, in Arabic it's called tekalluf. Tekalluf means to formally adopt something which you know to be truly correct. You don't feel it inwardly. But you adopt what is correct outwardly with the hope and prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah ta'ala corrects your inward by your correcting your outward. So this is what we should do outwardly. We should be appreciative and praising to our wife. Now, what did Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam do? Once there was a Sahaba, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. And it's a very long hadith which I cannot go into right now, but the end summary of the hadith is that he was actually not praying to Hajjah in those early days that he had become a believer. And so Sayyidina Rasulullah the way he explained to him is he praised him. And he said that, O oh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, you are so wonderful. But if you prayed to Hajjah, you would be even more wonderful. So what does that mean? That even the constructive criticism or even the pointing out took place inside the gift wrapping of praise. So that's another way to praise your wife. That you not just have to lavish praise, but when you want something to be improved, you should begin that by praising. That, oh, you know, this was, you know, we had such a perfect day today. If only we did this, it could have been better. Right? So then she'd be more willing to listen to that and she'd be more inclined to make that adjustment. The second recommendation is that the husband should praise and recommend, uh, praise and commend and appreciate his wife. This can also be by saying a word of encouragement. For example, it's not always that if there's a shortcoming, one has to reprimand, criticize, point out. Sometimes the person, husband, should think that okay, maybe there's a reason she wasn't able to do something. Maybe she needs my encouragement. Maybe she needs my support. Maybe she needs my guidance. Maybe she needs my counsel. Let me first try the encouragement route and then see Then again maybe she will be able to do it. And if that doesn't work, then I can take the position that I have to point it out to her as a fault. Third thing that the husband should do is that he should show interest in what the wife did during the day. Now you may think that let's say your wife is a housewife. Well, what she did during the day was some errands and household work and picking and dropping the children. But things happen in a woman's day also. Something may have happened while she picked up the children. Maybe one of the teachers said something to her at school. So many things can happen during the day. Maybe she noticed something when she was at Asda. Maybe a thought occurred to her. Maybe a feeling occurred to her. Maybe an idea occurred to her. So you yourself should ask. And because from her perspective, your day is also uneventful. She'll say, oh, he just goes to work. He does the same old thing at work every day. That's not something special, but you want to sit down and tell her everything about what happens at your work. And she, maybe Takallu feigns interest, right? 
and maybe she is genuinely interested, but you should also be the same way. You should show some interest and concern in what she's doing. And yes, even in the most mundane household chores, Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he used to partake of the household work. He used to do household chores, few, but along with his wife. Allah Akbar. He is Imam al-Anbiya wal-Mursaleen, Sayyidina wal-Akhirin, but he is also doing household chores. So what does that mean? That one way of showing interest in her work is realizing that, okay, for example, today you had a light day at work, you got off early, you're not tired at all. Let's say when you ask her about her day, she actually says she had a very tough day. The kids gave her a very tough time. You could wash the dishes for once, or even clear the table for once. Most times I will tell you that even if you try, they won't touch you. But just the fact that you tried will mean a lot to them. You start clearing the table and your intention was even to wash them, she'll say, no, 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 I'm not so tired, I can do it. But you made an impact on her heart. She realized that he noticed how tired I was. He listened to me when I said the kids gave me a tough time. He wants to alleviate me. And then what happens is her love will surge for you. And out of the power of her love, she will do the dishes herself anyway. That's the trick I would tell you, not normally with them. But that's the trick. You won't even have to do the dishes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It will have an impact on her. It shows that you also care about how her day went. You see, most husbands, we don't react. We're always the same every day with the wife. Irrespective of whether her day went well or not. But we want that if my day didn't go well, my wife should give me more support. And if my day went well, I need less support. So we want her to be in tune with us. To be responsive to us. So we also have to be in tune with her. We have to be responsive to her. So this was the third thing, that to show interest uh, in the work of the wife. Sometimes it also means that every now and then, if you have the ability to do something to make her life easier in her work, you should do so. Whether that means, I don't know, purchasing a toaster oven or a rice cooker or some type of kitchen appliance that would make that aspect of her life easier or something else like that that may make her work easier that shows it will show her that you are actually interested. You were thinking about her when you went to the store. You got something for her. Even if it's something purely mundane, kitchen use, you got something for her. Alright. The fourth thing is that you should give a gift to your wife. Sayyidina Rasulullah says in one of the beautiful short hadith, Tahadu Tahabu. This is called Babi Tafa'ul in Arabic. It means Janibain mutual from two ways. Tahadu comes from Hadiya. So Tahadu means the mutual giving of gifts. Tahabu leads to mutual muhabba. Mutual Hadiya leads to mutual muhabba. Mutual giving of gifts leads to mutual feelings of love. So it wasn't just on the marriage night and the first few nights after that you were supposed to give the gifts. You didn't even need it in those nights. Right? There's already plenty of love and romance and excitement of those first few nights. You didn't need the gift. The gift is something you need later on. The gift can be something that is a stereotypical gift, whether it's flour or chocolates or something like that. It can be, like I told you, even a spice grinder or something like that. It can be anything. Any single thing. All the wife needs to feel is that she was remembered by you. That's it. It doesn't really matter what the gift is. 
just the fact that you remembered her, that is the real gift. Actually, you're giving that gift of love. That's what Venus was saying in the day. That when you give a gift, you're actually giving the gift of love. When you give the gift of love, it doesn't matter what that object or item was that you gifted. It's the love that will be gifted, the love that will be received. And this is a sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah again, that hadith wasn't just about the husband and wife, but this is a general thing. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah also said that hadith is the best sadaqah, the best charity, and not zakat. The best sadaqah is that which one gives in their own home. Right? And this can mean many things. But if you take it strictly, then if you say that somebody is not eligible for zakat, means they're not below the Islamic poverty line. So sadaqah also means the amount of money that a husband spends on his wife, that husband gets the sawab for sadaqah for them. So, and those of you who are more well off, so that could even mean that if you travel somewhere for business, that when that duty-free person comes and you always ignore them, right, that you should buy some small trinket for your wife. This is not the time to be cold, calculating and thinking that this earring is probably $5 more than it would be in a regular store. When are you ever going to walk into a regular store and buy that earring? This person is walking right by you with a cart and offering it to you. That convenience is worth 5 10 extra dollars. And if you come home with a gift for your wife, especially when you come from a longer journey, like obviously if you were on the airplane, that must have been some journey that you had gone away from your wife for some time, so that will show her that you were thinking about her on that journey. So, the fourth thing is that a person should give gifts to their wife. Fifth thing is that a person should express that mawadda. Remember Quran, mawadda, a person, husband, should express their affection and love for their wife. What I'm talking about here is not uh, intimacy. I'm talking about affection. What does that mean? That means that sometimes there are people who are intimate but they don't have affection. So affection is something different. Affection means some sweet kind words, some sweet kind touch of affection, something like that. The husband has to show his affection. And it comes in the books about the Sahaba Kram that Sayyidina Rasulullah taught them to love their wives so much that some of the Sahaba, when they were so trained by the Sunnah of the Prophet they used to hand feed their wife. <laughs> they used to hand feed their wife, they used to put morsels of food on their wife. One could literally do amal on this, this is amal of the Sahaba. One could do amal on something like this, it shows some type of affection. Now again, there may be the odd husband here who is rolling his eyes, who is getting nausea at this thought of hand-feeding his wife. Right? So I told you in the beginning, maybe some takalluf. Maybe you will have to do some takalluf in the beginning. It happens. It happens. Alright? Sayyidina Rasulullah he used to express his love for his wife. Most famous stories in the hadith that have come are of Ummu Mu'maneel Sayyidina Aisha Anha. One Sayyidina Rasulullah entered his home and she was drinking from a bowl. They had a bowl. She was drinking from a bowl of water. So Sayyidina Rasulullah he said to her, Ya Humaira. This was his nickname for her. This is another thing, actually. This is another form of affection. 
to have a nickname or a pet name for your wife that you call upon her with affection. This is Sunnah of the Prophet He used to call her Humeda. Not all the time. And I will tell you, again, they happen to be listening, but this is very useful. You need to have this special nickname that you use in those times when she is upset with you. This is that nickname that should melt her heart. So you have to pick a name that she likes. Once I gave this talk at one place and I got a message from some woman saying that thanks to your talk, my husband, I don't remember what, I don't remember what it was. I'll just make up a word. I don't know what the word was. For example, he said, she said that he's calling me Bunny. And I don't like this name at all. But he's insisting that you said that he should pick a nickname for me. So this is the nickname that he likes. So this has a negative effect. <laughs> so you have to pick a nickname that she likes to be called. And you have to use that strategically. Yes. So in this case, Sayyidina Rasulullah wasn't using it strategically out of his love for Umayyad Aisha. He used to call Ya Humaira. Humaira, it comes from red. It means like in English you would say, Oh Pinky. And in Desi English, people talk like that sometimes. Pinky, it means, oh, rosy-cheeked one, oh, pink-complexioned one, right? So he said, Ya Humaira, leave some water for me. What does it mean? He's saying that I love the fact that you're drinking water. I want to drink your leftover water. Now this is Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. All of the Sahaba want to drink his leftover water. He is telling one of the Sahabiyat, who is his wife, that he wants to drink her leftover water. This is affection. This is called expressing affection. So she left some for him. Okay, when she left some for him, then he lifted up that bowl and he took it to his mouth and then he paused and then he rotated that bowl and then he put his blessed lips where she had placed her lips and then he drank. This is expression of affection. Now imagine how loved she must have felt at that moment. Hmm? What a lucky woman. Hmm? that she was to have a husband like Sayyidina Rasulullah if you want to follow the sunnah it means your wife should be able to say about you that I am as lucky to have him as Ummin Aisha was lucky to have the Prophet that's called following the sunnah following the sunnah isn't just about few external things that we do yes you have to have that also but following the sunnah means can you have that sunnah heart Right? This is her his affection and love for Ummin Sayyidina Aishur Anha. So this was the next uh, point which is the affection that he had. Sixth is that the husband should sometimes speak conversation to his wife in a humorous, joking, jestful manner. Again you can see in the hadith so Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Once he was with Umumini Sayyidina and he looked at her and he started smiling. So she said to him, the Yadusa, why are you smiling? So she said that, oh Aisha, you are more dear to me. You are dear to me in the same way as dates blended with butter. So dates blended with butter is something that the Arabs apparently like. It's a double delight, right? Dates blended with butter. So she was so happy and she loved this. So she responded to him also humorously. She said, Yadusa, you are more beloved to me than honey blended with butter, which is even more <laughs> sweetness. So, and she, and the Prophet was happy with her, and he said to her, Tuba, she said, he said to her that you have given a pleasing uh, response, your response is pleasing to me. This is also so affectionate conversation, right, to have light conversation. 
sometimes some of us we always have very heavy or very formal or very strict, exclusively strict conversation with one's wife. So this is the sunnah of the Prophet. One Sayyidina Rasulullah, he took Umumin Aishanana for a walk. And then he said to her that they were in a field and he suggested they have a race. So when they raced, Sayyidina Rasulullah, he let her win. He let her win. Because this is playful behavior with one's wife. Then years later, Sayyidina Rasulullah also, Umumin Aishanana, she herself narrates these things. Years later, again, he said, let's have a race. And she said, at this point, I have put on some weight. <laughs> and then to say, Narasulullah, he won the race. And then he jokingly laughed to me and said, tilka bitilka. Means tit for tat. Means this for that. Means he was also, when he was losing, he was smiling. When he was winning the race, he was smiling. So he used to engage in joyful, playful, light behavior with one's wife. This is the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. Here there's a long hadith that the Muhaddisin study known as Hadith Abu Zura, uh, where Umm Minin Aisha she narrates this hadith as well. It's a very long hadith about nine different husbands and their nine different wives. Uh, but here, Sayyidina Rasulullah used to cheer uh, his wife by telling her anecdotes. You can use this then. That telling stories to one's wife, telling anecdotes towards one's wife. Uh, this is also Sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. Some people, some men find it difficult to express their affection. And yes, we can say, okay, honestly, maybe some man has that difficulty. Remember, our deen is a deen of mujahadatun nafs. Our deen is a deen in which Allah Ta'ala has given us a certain temperament. It can be your behavioral genes. It can be the way you were raised. It can be your personality. But on top of that, Allah Ta'ala has revealed the Qur'an and Sunnah deen of Islam that has the power to transform your personality, that has the power to transform your behavior, has the power to transform your very temperament and your actions and your expressions. So we have to submit to the deen of Islam. That's what it means to follow the Qur'an and Sunnah. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah once a Sahaba was with the Prophet and Sayyidina Rasulullah was cuddling and embracing and kissing Sayyidina Hassan and Sayyidina Hussain with his grandsons, his grandkids, small boys. So the Sahaba went to the Prophet, that Sahaba was a bit stern in demeanor. Again, this is during the process, right? So he was stunned and he stared at the Prophet in astonishment and he looked at him in wonderment and he said, Ya Rasulullah I have so many children and grandchildren, I never hug and kiss them like you are, right? I never hug and kiss them like you are. So Sayyidina Rasulullah said to him, that what can I do if Allah Ta'ala has deprived your heart of mercy? Allah for strong words for a prophet to tell you. What can I do if Allah Ta'ala has deprived your heart of mercy? Means the Prophet didn't say it's okay if people are different, no problem. The Prophet didn't say that. Sayyidina Rasulullah didn't say no problem, that's how you are and I am this way and you are your way and to each his own. No, no. Sayyidina Rasulullah didn't say that. So he taught that Sahaba by saying a very strong sentence that this is the way you should be. This is the way Allah Ta'ala wants you to be. So if we are maybe like that Sahaba used to be, he also changed after hearing this, we should also change after hearing this. And again, even if in the beginning it requires a bit of taqalluf, even if it requires us to formally adopt that way, 
when you adopt something outwardly that is indeed, Allah Ta'ala will give it to you inwardly, if that is your true sincere intention. Seventh thing is that, seventh advice that the men, for the husband, is patience. The husband must have sabr. And this is something we'll talk about tomorrow. Women generally by nature have less sabr. It's not just me. This is all of Western psychology and neuroscience saying this. Women have less summer. So what does that mean? That means that the man has to compensate for that. The husband has to overcompensate. The husband has to have more summer. And if the husband has less summer, and then the wife already has less summer, so then you can imagine what's going to happen. You can imagine what's going to happen. Again, this is what is said to run a big show. You have to have a big heart. You have to have more summer. You're the manager. Don't you see in the corporate model when you're made, who do they make the manager? Hmm? Which of the employees do they select to promote as the manager? The one who has more summer. The one who has more patient endurance. The one who has more zarf. The one who has more hilm. This is a managerial attribute. And so when Allah SWT has made the husband the manager of the house, he has to have the managerial attributes that are required to run that house. He has to have more sabr. How is it that that man in his workplace has sabr with his subordinates at work, but when he's at his home, he can't have sabr with his subordinates at home? The subordinates at work are strangers. They are not family. In this country, they may not even be Muslim. And the subordinates at home are your own family and are fellow mu'mineen and muslimah. The seventh thing is the husband must have sabr and him. Must have sabr and him. One thing that a husband sometimes makes a mistake is he wants everything absolutely on time. So if he told his wife to iron his clothes, they had be better be ironed on time. If he said he wants breakfast at 9, he meant 8.59. Right? Allah Akbar. doesn't have summer. doesn't have summer. doesn't have summer. So, we should have more sabr and more hill. More sabr and more hill. What does this mean? One practical way to do this is that we should think before we speak. One of the deadly sins that the husband does is he speaks first and he thinks later. He speaks first and he regrets later. This is very important. Sabr on our tongue. Don't say the first thing that comes to mind. This is not what our being teaches us. We are not people who say whatever comes to our mind. That's not a mu'min. We don't say the first thing that comes to our mind. That's not a mu'min. No. Something will come to our mind. We will check it. We will process it. We will run it through the filter of sunnah, adab and akhlaq. If it passes that filter, we will say it. And if it doesn't pass that filter, we will not say it. Sabr means to keep that filter in place. Lack of sabr means you took the filter out and without looking as to whether your words are according to the sunnah feelings of the Prophet you just spoke them anyway. And again, sometimes people defend themselves. That what can I do? I speak my mind. Who told you to speak your mind? Who are you? What does it mean? I, I speak my, my mind. That's called ana in Arabic. Ana. That's takambur, that's kibr, that's pujjah, that's arrogance, that's pride, that's vanity, that's conceit. 
Who am I to speak my mind? I have to speak the words that Allah SWT is pleased with me to speak with. That requires some sabr. Because yes, sometimes a person, their reaction is to say whatever on their mind. Don't say the first thing that comes to mind. This is a very important aspect of sabr. Eighth thing that the husband should do. And again, they're listening. But the eighth thing that you must implement the sharia in your home. What does that mean? So the tip I would give you is that you have to save your trump card for the sharia. What does that mean? In matters that have no relevance in sharia, you should listen to your wife. You want a new carpet and you want it to be blue, she wants it to be green by green. You want to go visit someone, you think it's a good idea to leave at 11 a.m. She says, let's leave at 10 a.m., leave at 10 a.m. In all of these matters, you should listen to your wife. You should save your authority for when it comes to sharia and deen. That is when you should play your card. Means that is when you should say that it's your decision. These other decisions, you should let them go. Don't be what we call a control freak. Don't do them. What are the, what difference does it make to the man who's hardly going to be at home, whether the carpet is blue or green? She wants the couch in this side. You want it on that side. Listen to her. You would like to make a stop on the way to your destination. She says, no, let's go there first and do the stop on the way back. Listen to her. You see, so many times decisions like this come up in the day. But this is just a minor, minor difference of opinion that has no value, no bearing, no relevance on deed. You should simply let go. Let go. As long as there's no harm to your dunya either, not saying that you should harm or be late for work or something like that, but if there's no harm in your dunya, and there's no harm or benefit at all when it comes to deen, let her make the decisions. But when it comes to matter of sharia and deen, then you should make the decision. When it comes to the affairs of sharia and deen, you should be firm in your decision. And this is obviously training for that person who wants to be on sharia and deen. This is all un- having a big assumption. This point number eight has a big underlying assumption. That the man wants and everything in my home should be according to deen and sharia. And that's what you should want. And that's what every woman should want also. If we don't follow the sharia, then we will never have barakah in our married life. One of the things way Allah Ta'ala punishes a husband for sin is that, oh man, you had been given authority by me, Allah over those in your household. And I had my authority over you. You did not respect my authority over you, so I will punish you by making those underneath you disrespect your authority over them. Many times, if a wife is disobedient to us, a child is disobedient and unruly to us, is because we were disobedient to Allah SWT. This is one of the nafad, one of the immediate punishments and consequences of our sin. Yes, Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, مَنْ يَعْلَصُوا أَنْ يُجْزَبِهِ That whomsoever commits a sin will face the consequence of that sin. And sometimes for a man who is a husband, the consequence that he faces of his sin is that Allah Ta'ala will make those who are around him disobey him 
just like he disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another aspect of Sharia is that there are certain things in the household that may require a male technician or male repairman to repair. You should try to handle that yourself and have that male repairman come in the evening and supervise that activity yourself rather than making your wife call that male technician to her home alone in the daytime. Even if she is in full niqab and full hijab, but still, it is not what the Sharia prefers. You should view this as your responsibility. This is also an aspect of bringing the teachings and the spirit of Sharia into one's home. The more and more Sharia you have in your home, the more and more barakah you will have. And yes, a very important aspect of this is to remove entirely and completely and irreversibly and without any hesitation whatsoever any and all media that are used for haram in your home. You should not have any hesitation, any doubt in doing this whatsoever. Right? We have too many screens in our home. You need to start reducing those screens. You need to start reducing those screens. And as a man, you are responsible. This was your duty. And if you didn't neglect your duty, if any one of your children ever does anything unlawful or even slightly unlawful using any one of those screens, you will also get the sin for it because you are the man of the house. If your wife ever does anything inappropriate using any of those screens, you will also get the sin for it because you are the man of the house. So this is the duty of the husband to purify the house from everything that is spiritually impure. And the wife will purify the house from everything that is physically impure. Ninth advice for the husband is that whenever your wife gets angry with you, and this will happen, this is inevitable, it's going to happen. Whenever your wife gets angry with you, stay calm. Natural man's reaction is, oh, you're messing with me? You're raising your voice at me? You have five decibels, I have twenty decibels. You're giving me a look. You give, oh no, I'll give you a look. This is the wrong reaction. This is the wrong reaction. It's the wrong time for this. It's not the time. It's not the time. When she is in a state of anger, you have to remain calm. Never will it work that two sides are angry and you reach a peaceful solution. Impossible. Impossible. Many times the husband, what happens to us is that we're just upset that why is she raising her voice at me? We have, we, it's not even a question of whether we're guilty or not. We are upset and that's legitimate. That's legitimate. The woman should not, wife should not raise her voice. But the response at this moment is to stay calm. Stay calm. Very important thing that when your wife gets angry with you, you must stay calm. This is the time to remember the teachings of Qur'an. وَلَقَازِمِينَ الْغَيْرِ Allah Ta'ala says in Qur'an, and they are such people that they swallow their anger. This is the moment to do amal on this. That when your wife gets angry with you, and the reaction comes, and it's about to come out of your throat, وَلَقَازِمِينَ الْغَيْرِ They swallow their anger. They suppress their anger. Ideally, they eliminate their anger. وَعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ 
and then they're forgiving to humanity, not even mu'minin. And in nas, they're forgiving of all people. This is the moment for the husband to do amal on this. Inna Allahumma Allah subhanahu wa taala loves the people of Asan. That means they return fire with water. They return fire with ice. Not that they return fire with fire. So when she comes to you, the fiery creature that she is, hmm? your British poet, huh? Hell hath no fury like the wrath of a woman. Allah Akbar. Hmm? So when she directs that fury at you, you should stay calm. You must stay calm. Very important that you stay calm. What's going to happen? If she throws fire at you, and you throw fire at her, so the house will burn down in fire. That's all that happens. That's the only thing that can happen. If she yells at you, and you scream at her, the house will burn down. That's the only thing you accomplish. And yes, it would be true for the other way around. That if ever the husband gets angry at the wife, the wife should stay calm. They're a little bit less able to do this, generally, but they should stay calm. Whenever in any relationship one party is angry, overworked, in a rage, in a fury, is fiery, the other party must stay calm. Otherwise you will lead to a huge disaster. Huge disaster. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah what did he say? He taught us in Sunnah. That when you become angry, when you feel the anger, change your position. Why? Training us how to become. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting down, lie down. If that doesn't work, make harakah. Leave the room. Leave. Walk out. Walk out of that scene. If you don't think I can stay calm, walk out. Walk out. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It doesn't mean walk out and run away and don't come back. It means Step out and come back after 10-15 minutes. Step out and come back after 5-10 minutes. You get enough strength that you can be calm, and by the time you come back, she will have cooled down. Somewhat, at least. Right? means if you can't stay calm, then get out. Don't get angry back. That's simple. That's the son of the both of them. And then he said that when you get angry, another thing he taught us in the is say, أَوْنَ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ so this is shaitan. This is shaitan. It's in Quran. Not even hadith. It's in Quran. The shaitan loves to rip, put rest between husband and wife. How does he do that anger? Mutual anger is one of his best weapons. Mutual anger is one of his best weapons. And the tenth advice for the husband is that, and it's for both, is that you should never sleep without resolving the argument. You cannot sleep without making up. Not allowed ever to sleep without making up. Whatever happened, you have to resolve it that day before you go to sleep. Because if you go to sleep in that state, then the whole night you can imagine like this, I'm just saying it figuratively, it's as if you go to sleep in the lap of shit. That husband who goes to sleep angry with his wife, wife who goes to sleep angry with her husband, they're going to sleep in the lap of shaitan. He's so happy with, so happy. Yes. You must resolve that. You must resolve that before you sleep. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said in the hadith, 
that if a wife sleeps in a state where in a state in which her husband remains angry with her, then the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curse her all night long. I guess the hadith is about the wife, but one can reasonably imagine it may be true of the husband. If the husband genuinely angers the wife, like in this case in the hadith, the wife genuinely angered the husband. So don't go to sleep until we have resolved it. And if you remember that, look, in these arguments, it's not about winning and losing. It's another mistake the husband makes. He just thinks, but I just can't lose the argument. You don't understand. I cannot lose. There's no witness. There's no one winner and one loser in marriage. It's a double or nothing game. Either you both win or you both lose. There's no concept that the husband wins and the wife loses or the wife wins and the husband loses. You're azwaj. That's what Allah is trying to explain in this word in Arabic. You're pairs, mates, spouses. You're a couple. You're a duo. You're two. You're not one. There is no you team. The team can win and the team can lose. There's no individual who can win and lose. So can any one of your 11 friends on the field win and the other 10 lose? No way. Either all 11 win or all 11 lose. It's exactly the same thing in a match. So there's no question that I go to sleep winning the argument and she goes to sleep losing the argument. There's no such concept like that. So until you resolve it, it means that you will both be losers. So these are tender rules for the husband. And before I move to some 20 advices for the wife, I wanted to mention one thing which is about lifestyle. And before we make the bridge, lifestyle something for both we have to adopt certain natural elements of the Islamic lifestyle in our home and marriage. And because we don't have those natural elements of the Islamic lifestyle, many times our marriage is in threat. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran has mentioned this word sukoon. Like we did this ayah for you in the beginning, that Allah Ta'ala has created spouses, you, spouses from you so that you may get sukoon from one another. But Allah Ta'ala, now let us look in Quran and see what are some of the other places that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has mentioned as sukoon. So Allah Ta'ala says, Wallahu ja'ala lakum min buyutikim sakana. Sakana is related to sukoon, the same root, same three letter root. Sakana means your residence, right? That we have made for you your homes uh, as a residence. Maskana, sakana means your abode of residence. But it means also the place of sukoon. So your home is a place of sukoon. Your wife is a source of sukoon. The home is the place of sukoon. And the third ayah, Allah Ta'ala says in God, huwa ladhi ja'ala lakum layla. Layla, Allah Ta'ala is that being who has made for you the night litaskunu, so that you may get sukoon from it. So the wife is the source of sukoon, your home, house is the place of sukoon, and the night is the time of sukoon. So what does that mean? That husband who spends the night at home with his wife, he will get sukoon. Night, home, and wife equals sukoon. Night plus home plus wife equals sukoon. Your friend wants to meet you, tell him I meet you Saturday in the daytime. Let's, let's do a lunch on Saturday. Let's do brunch on Saturday. 
Friday night dinner? No, sorry. I can't do that. We want to get together late night, Friday night. The boys are getting together at 10 p.m. on Friday. I can't do that. You can come to my place at 2 on Saturday. Night plus home plus wife. If you stick to this Quranic equation and each ayah Allah Ta'ala is saying sukoon, so you will get triple sukoon. Triple sukoon. This is a big mistake we make. Our lifestyle is not the way Allah Ta'ala wanted it to be. Late nights out, going out at night, coming home late at night, and like I did earlier, sleeping separately, meaning at separate times, sometimes even separately, maybe in some cases, at separate times. You sitting in the living room, working late night, conking on the couch, she's lying in bed at her home. No. Home means same room, plus wife, plus night. These are the three things that give sukun. So if you're away, from your wife, one-third sukoon gone. You're away from your home, one-third sukoon gone. You're away at night, another-third sukoon gone. So what does that mean? That people who are out of the home at night, away from wife, no way you will have sukoon. Now which equation applies to us? Hmm? What are we doing? The women would be able to tell me about you. Hmm? Is this man at home, at night, with wife, or is he out of home at night, away from wife? Very important natural thing. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah, his sunnah, but he would go to sleep early after Isha. Even Imam Bukhari made a whole chapter about these hadiths. That Sayyidina Rasulullah said that you should not engage in idle and vain talk after Isha. Yes, if somebody is a doctor or has some other profession where he's on night shift, okay? That's a duty that you have to do. Or if somebody is busy in work of deen, or teaching deen. They can do that after night. But otherwise, idle and vain, futile, pointless activity, the Prophet specifically said that don't do that after Isha. And we are completely opposite to the Sunnah. When is it that we do our futile activity? We do it after Isha. It's precisely at the night that we engage in our idle pastimes, futile activities, hobbies, surfing, everything. They call it prime time TV. Right? What is prime time? In America they have the thing prime time TV. It starts at 8 p.m. <laughs> it's 8 to 10 p.m. Prime time television. <laughs> Late night movie. Hmm? Exactly against the sunnah. Against Quran. It's not, you're not using the layl for sukoon. You're using the layl for law. Law in Quran. Allah says about mu'mineen in Quran that they stay away from futile, pointless, vain activity that has no benefit. So we should never view any sunnah as minor. The sunnah lifestyle of the Prophet the sunnah timetable of the Prophet it's very important that you should keep to that. And I tell you that most of you, you are blessed by Allah that you are able to keep to that. The people who do work of deen, they can never keep to this. Because their audience is you, and you're busy all day, so we have to sit with you all night. Yes, you're busy all day, so we have to sit with you all night. So we are on night shift. You should have a home, and a wife, and every night you should be at home with your wife. Every now and then you have some place to go, no problem. But this should be the norm. The norm should be living a lifestyle according to the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
Then you know what happens, and let me tell you what happens after that. What happens after that, and you and your wife will both wake up for Fajr. Even that basic thing is lacking in many Muslim homes. And if you keep doing this well, then inshallah, inshallah, you and your wife will both wake up for Tahajjah. That's it. You fix your PM, Allah Ta'ala will put Barakah in your AM. If you simple rule. You fix your PM, Allah Ta'ala will put Barakah in your AM. And you run around and do sin in the PM, Allah Ta'ala will destroy your Barakah in the AM. Night is for sukoon. Night is for ibadah. Night is for family. This is what Quran Kareem and the Kareem Sassana taught us. You cannot be deviant from this. It cannot happen. You will not succeed. I guarantee you, you want to live a lifestyle away from this, you will not be able to succeed. You will lose something. You may not realize what it is that you lose. You will lose something. You tell me that home, even if we just did amal on this, we could do the whole workshop in this few sentences. That the husband and wife after Isha are together in the home and they sleep at the same time together and they wake up for Fajr together. Bus. That's enough. They fix their PM, Allah Ta'ala will take care of their aim. Very, very important that we do this. And inshallah, even if you, if you do this regularly, then there will come a time that inshallah, inshallah, that husband and wife will wake up for tahajjud. That home in which both the husband and the wife both pray to Hajjun, Allahu Akbar Kabira. Subhanallah, wa bihamdi, Subhanallah al-Azim. Then you will see the nur of the children in that home. You will see the taqwa of the children in that home. You will see the haya of the children in that home. You will see the barakah and the risk in that home. You will see the barakah and the waqt and the time in that home. You will see the barakah and the seha and the health in that home. All you have to do is fix your PM. Most of it is even spent sleeping. In fact, even that I will tell you. One way for you to fix your PM is please start sleeping in the PM and stop sleeping in the AM. Yes, this itself is a way to fix it. Now that's the easiest way. MashaAllah, we are all PhD in sleep. We are masters in sleeping. That's the easiest solution for us. You have to sleep at the right time in the right way, in the right place, in the right room, with the right person. And if Allah Ta'ala has blessed you with all of these things, you have a home, you have a room, you have a wife. So much to be grateful to Allah Ta'ala for. Very important that I cannot stress this part enough. Not stress this part enough. Now we move to the wives. So now we're going to, like we did 20 things for the men, we're going to mention 20 things for the women. Alright. Before we begin that 20, there are few different dimensions to a woman's life. There are few different dimensions and aspects to a woman's life. 
here, I won't be able to do that in detail today. I'll just mention it and there's a talk on the website that the men and women can listen to. A woman has different roles in her life. I'll just briefly mention it. And we are interested today in her role as a wife. But other than that, there are three other relationships that she has. That is that of being a mother, being a daughter, being a sister, being a wife, and being a mother. A woman has four aspects to her relationships. Core family relationships as a daughter, her identity and role as a daughter, her identity and role as a sister, her identity and role as a wife, and her identity and role as a mother. All four are extremely important. All four should be used for the sake of pleasing Allah SWT. Allah SWT has put a love in the heart of her family for each of these relationships. Means that the father and mother have a special love for their daughter. Any father who has daughters knows that. And this is also Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam. The special love that he had for his daughter, Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anha. When she used to walk in the room, he used to stand up and greet her. Yes? Then he used to tell her to sit in his place, which is an expression of love and respect in the Arabs. Sometimes he would spread his shawl for her to sit on. So this is also sunnah. A man has to have this love for the daughter. So the woman who is a daughter should use the love her father has for her as a daughter to bring her father closer towards thee. Similarly, the love for a wife, again sunnah said, be for us. Who is a human? It's the Prophet He is the ideal human. He is al-insan al-kamil. He is the true meaning of what it means to be a true human being. He had great love for his wife. I've already given you examples of his love for Umm Mu'mineen Khadija Radha Sayyidina Aisha Radha So a woman should use the love that Allah has placed in the husband for her to bring the husband towards being. Similarly, children have a love for their mother. The woman should use the love that the children have for her as a mother to bring the children towards the deen. And lastly, the siblings and brothers even have a love for their sister. So the woman should leave the lo- use the love that her brother has for her as a sister to bring the husband, to- her brother, towards the deen. But we are interested today in that aspect of life, uh, aspect of being a wife. First thing that a woman should do is that she should assist her husband in deen. She should be the mu'awin and the helper of her husband in matters of deen. So whether it is in raising the children according to deen, whether it is in helping the husband be more regular in his salah, whether it is encouraging the husband to stay away from things that are makroor, halal, she must view herself as the life support for her husband's deen. The greatest support any human being can give any other human being is support in deen. So if the wife is meant to be the support of the husband, she must support her husband in deen. Second, Sayyidina Rasulullah once mentioned when he was commenting on this verse, Fankihu Matabalakum, that you should marry those women who are pleasing to you. So Sayyidina Rasulullah said a very interesting sentence. He said that that woman who pleases your heart when you look at her. Now this is very different from pleasing your eye when you look at her. But at the same time it is when you look at her. So means Sayyidina Rasulullah combined both things. So the woman, wife, should try to make herself physically and emotionally attractive to her husband. 
because the best wife is the one who pleases the heart of her husband when her husband looks at her. This is a strange thing in life, that if you love someone, means you love their inner beauty, you will automatically find them to be more beautiful. And if you don't like someone, no matter how beautiful they are, you won't find them to be attractive. And the women should know that there are many beautiful women who get divorced. It's not that beauty is anything that's going to save you. There are many, many beautiful women who get divorced. Why? They didn't have the inner beauty. They didn't have the inner beauty. So even in the marriage, inner beauty is even more important than outer beauty. And inner beauty is something that is more in our ability. Outer beauty is largely given by Allah Sallallahu We can just, in terms of our appearance and dress and demeanor and behavior, make ourselves more attractive. But in terms of our inner beauty, that mujahada, mujahada, tazkiyah, working on our nafs, working on our kalb, submitting our feelings to the feelings of Qur'an and Sunnah, will make that woman more attractive to the heart of her husband when she comes more on deen and makes herself more attractive to the heart of her husband, then he will necessarily be more physically attracted to her. And if she's not able to be attracted to the heart of her husband, then she will not be able to be attracted to the eyes of her husband. Now, moving to, these were two major uh, general points, now moving to something more practical. Number one, when a woman cooks food in the home, she should cook that food if she is able, if she's not in those days of the month, she should cook the food while she's in a state of wudu, and her heart and thoughts are engaged in the zikr of Allah SWT. When she makes the food at home, she should be in a state of wudu and her heart and her mind should be doing the zikr of Allah subhanahu Means her heart should be feeling feelings for Allah subhanahu and her mind should be thinking thoughts about Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu put barakah in this food. Allah subhanahu making food from a halal source of income, from halal animals. Ya Allah, make this food a means for my whole family to come onto halal. Make this food a means for my husband and children to stay within the halal. She should be making zikr of Allah subhanahu when she cooks the food. This is, it makes a very big difference. There is one student of ours in Florida. Oh no, she's not in Florida. The student of ours in America. And she's a convert to Islam. And she had a sister in Florida. And she went to visit her sister once. And she wanted it with her heart's desire that her sister also accept Islam. But she didn't know how to make that happen. And she had had discussions before. And the sister was okay with her Islam. But she wanted the sister to become Muslim. So she thought that what I will do is I will go to Florida and I will just do khidmat of my sister. At the very least I can get halal meat and cook my sister halal food and maybe due to the barakah of giving her halal food she will accept imam. And Allah her this was her islam in her niyyah so she went to Florida and you can imagine the amount of zikr and fikr she was doing when she made that food and sure enough, alhamdulillah, her sister accepted islam. 
So if the barakah of food can take a person from kufr to iman, then don't you think the barakah of food can take a person from isyan to iman, from sin to iman? So women should not underestimate this. She does not underestimate this important aspect of her role and duty when she's cooking the food. You know, and when people, and this also means, second aspect of this, is that we should limit, I would like to say eliminate, but some of you may not be ready for that. Those of you who are ready for it, eliminate. And those of you who are not ready for it, severely curtail and limit the outside food that you eat. By outside, especially, I mean food that is cooked outside. I'm not talking about manufactured items or bakery items, but food that is cooked outside. Because you never know about that cook. In some of these halal restaurants, well, I don't know about the UK, actually. In America, many of the halal restaurants, the meat is halal, but most of the chefs are Mexican. Because they're cheaper labor, and they've been trained how to cook Pakistani or whatever type of food that you like. So the person is a non-Muslim. I don't know what the situation is like in the UK. But the person may or may not be Muslim. Allah Allah. If they're Muslim, they may or may not be a Muslim who practices and prays. Allah Allah. If they're a Muslim who practices and prays, they may not be in a state of wudu at that moment. Certainly they don't know that they're personally making the food for you. So there cannot be any feeling of love or zikr that is going into that food because you're a stranger. And sometimes it also happens that the person who is cooking the food at the restaurant is unhappy. Generally unhappy, underpaid, oppressed labor. So that unhappiness sometimes it can also go into the food. This may be something that the rational, empiricist, scientific mind cannot understand how that makes a difference. I can tell you a story from a madrasa in Islamabad that there was a boy there and he went, there's a group called the Bliki Jamaat and they go to the Dawat and Allah. Khair. So he went and he spent time with them and he did the whole madrasa break, he spent 40 days with them and then he came back to the madrasa and mashallah he came back to the madrasa on fire. He's praying to Hajjah every night, he's trying to get all the kids up for Hajjah so the kids, you know, because they're students, I mean, not everybody comes to pray to Hajjah. So it was getting a difficult thing having this fellow in the dorms. So the students actually went to the principal of the mothers and complained that this fellow has gone on this vacation, he's come back so charged up and he's waking all of the Pratajas. Right? And what they meant was that, you know, we're not getting enough sleep, it's affecting our studies, I'm sure that's how they presented it at least. So the principal said, okay, what I want you to do is that in the next meal, don't give him the food from the mother's side. Go outside to the bazaar, to the marketplace, and buy some food as halal, Pakistan, buy some food from there and give them that for lunch. Fine. Students didn't understand, they went and they did that. Sure enough, the next night they didn't pray that. Real fact story of now whether one can understand how that process happened or not, that's up to you. You can take it or leave it. I'm not forcing this on anyone. But I'm letting you know, I'm suggesting to you. Why don't you try it for yourself? What does it mean? What I was telling you was to curtail or eliminate the cooked food that you eat from outside. So you try it. No harm in trying it, right? And you see. And if when you leave the cooked food from outside, you feel that your spirituality has gotten better, your taqwa, zikr, haya, amal has gotten better, then you will have experienced it for yourself. There's no harm in trying. So this is an important thing. 
as if, yes, this is one way the wife expresses her love for her husband, is by making the food by her own hands that the husband eats. And if you always order out, then you are losing this aspect of the love in this relationship. Right? Second, is that, so here, so this was a recommendation for the wife. Second is that, Second is that a woman should manage her household work in such a way that she has free time for ibadah. What happens with the wife is normally, let's say the children are going to school, a school going age, and the husband goes to work. So let's say all three children go to school and they're all gone from 9 to 3. So she looks at this period of time, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., 6 hours, and she thinks to herself, okay, I do all the household work in 3 hours. So what did that mean? That meant, okay, you should do the household work in three hours, and you should do something else for those three hours. But no, what the wife does is she spreads the household work across those six hours, and she ends up taking six hours to do three hours worth of work. So no, a woman shouldn't do that. Then you missed an opportunity to make your home a place of ibadah. Your husband is at work, he would be praying those daily prayers either in the office or the messenger's office, however the case may be. But you were at home, you were supposed to make the home a place of ibadah. You were to make the home a place of zikr, a place of tilawa, a place of dua. So the woman should view her household work, the wife should view household work is not something that takes up all of the time. That should be done however much time it requires. And the rest of the time should be done for something more productive. It can be more khidmat, it can be more ibadat, but she has to be more productive at her home. Then, if a woman does household work like that, then the household work will itself be an ibadah for her. All of the chores that she does at her home are generally an ibadah, but if she wants to get more sawab for them, then she should discharge them in a timely and sufficient manner. Third rule for a woman is that wife is that she should, this is the wife who is the housewife, right? Uh, she should do this job of keeping her home clean. Because that husband whose wife is a housewife, that husband will expect that the wife keeps the house clean. Right? So if a wife is a housewife, then she should fulfill that task and she should make sure that the house is clean or the house is neat. And yes, even if that means sometimes picking up after your husband, and that may mean picking up after your children, that is part of what it means. That is part of what it means. The woman should be willing to do that, and she should make this need in her heart that Allah SWT, if I make, keep my home clean from physical impurity, Allah I want you to keep my home clean from spiritual impurity. I want you to keep my home clean from spiritual impurity. That Allah SWT says in Quran al-Kareem, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَالْمُتَطَحِرِينَ Allah SWT loves the people of Tawbah, and Allah SWT loves the people of Tahara, who are deeply into purification. If there is a woman who is not a housewife, if there is a wife who is not a housewife, for example, maybe she is teaching 
at an all-girls Muslim school, and she herself is gone from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Then, her and her husband need to sit down and have an honest discussion about how is the household management going to take place when he is working and she is working. And whatever agreement is arrived at, the wife has to stick to that. But yes, the wife's priority will be that if we are both working, then yes, we will have to do both. We will both have to do some level of household work. But because my husband is the foremost earner, most usually that's the case, then I should be the foremost, foremost housekeeper. And if it is, and every now and then you may find a situation where the husband is not able to find work, it may happen, and the wife herself has lawful shari employment, then in that case the husband may have to do more of the housework than the wife. Alright? Okay. Fourth thing that a wife should do is she should not spread rumors. She should not spread rumors and hearsay. She should not tell her husband anything and everything that anyone and everyone said. She should not put that burden on him. Because many times what anyone and everyone said may not be true. It may not be accurately even be attributed to them. So she should not spread hearsay because you will end up in lies and backbiting. And this is a problem, especially for the housewife. That lies and backbiting. Still to this day, you know, recently I gave a talk in another country and the person came to me and said, that, what if it's true? And I told them that this is exactly in the hadith, the Sahaba come, asked the Prophet that what if what we're saying about that person is true? And the Prophet said, well, if it's true, it's backbiting, and if you're lying, you're slander. So he listened to my response, and you know what he said? But what if it's true? <laughs> and I, without exaggeration, he repeated this five times with me. Five times. After which I gave up. <laughs> I gave up. I didn't understand how to explain. And I tried five different ways of explaining. Right? And he was so insistent that if it's true, he should be allowed to say it. And so, I was thinking, if this is the state of a man, then certainly some women, who are very addicted to backbiting and slander and gossip. So now you should think, that if in that home, you were on the phone in that home, and sitting in that home on the phone, you engage in backbiting, slander and gossip, you will lose the barakah in your home, you should expect to have an argument with your husband when he comes home. Because you were sitting in that home. So for the housewife, the home is an amana. The sins you do during the day when your husband is gone, they may not be crude sin, but this is a huge sin. Listen to the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah unless you think it is not crude. Al-ghibatu ashaddu min al-zina. Now let's take worst case scenario. Husband is sitting outside of home doing zina. Wife is sitting sinning inside home doing ghibah. What is the hadith saying? Wife should think like that. And wife would be horrified if husband did zina outside the home. So how much more horrified should the wife be about doing ghibah inside the home? A very big mistake the wife makes. If in her home, even outside the home it's a sin, but inside the home it's going to affect your marriage. And then if on top of that, that riba, namima, backbiting, slanders, rumors is taking place between sisters-in-laws or between daughter-in-law, mother-in-law, Allah, Akbar, Kabila.
then you will definitely go into her fight with your husband when he comes home. Maya Musu An Again, remember Allah Ta'ala said in Quran that whosoever does a sin will reap the consequences of that sin. So this is not what you're at home. This is not what you should use your home for. Your children will disobey you. Your children will betray you. Yes? Because you were disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sitting on the phone. Next thing is that a wife should not complain so much about the husband to anyone and everyone. So it's a sub, actually within this number, a sub number, because this is one of the type of backbiting. For a wife to backbite her husband. Remember Sayyidina Rasulullah said, even if it's true, so she calls up her friend on the phone and she says, my husband is like this, 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 or my husband is this, this, this. It's true. Even if she's speaking the truth, it's a riba. So that wife who is backfiring her own husband in their own home, you can just think she is setting fire to her marriage with her own him. And many wives make this mistake. Yes, I understand that let's say your husband did something that was not nice. And it's your feeling you need to share that with someone. So that is what your musalla is for. That is what your janamaz is for. That is what salah is for. That is what dua is for. That is what tawakkul Allah is for. That whomsoever relies and trusts on Allah subhanahu ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will be sufficient for them. So don't pick up that phone or do that email or SMS. You should go to the musalla and present your issue to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And in any case, Allah ta'ala alone has the ability to soften the heart of your husband. None of the friends you talk to on the phone can do anything to your husband. It cannot help in any way whatsoever. And you will get the sin of backbiting. 100% guaranteed. The wife should not backbite in gossip generally, specifically at home, and super specifically she should not backbite her own husband in their own home. This is a big mistake. You call his mother. You call your mother. Yes, that's also evil. Yes. You call your own mother and you tell her all these bad things about your husband, even if they're true, you were guilty of the sin of riba, al to ashaddu min al-zina. Yes, if you need guidance on how to get out of the situation, you need guidance. There's a style, and all the women would know that what was the tone and tenor and intention of that conversation? Were you seeking guidance for the sake of salah, or were you venting your frustration and backbiting? I think everybody knows that 95% of the time, it's venting frustration in the form of backbiting. So we should be very, very careful of this. Number, I don't know, number, but number five, like we had mentioned that the woman, and earlier we mentioned that the woman should greet the husband when he comes home. So similarly in the morning when he leaves, she should escort him to the door when he leaves. She should bid him farewell. She should stand there and make dua for her husband. Yes, and she should remind him to make the sunnah dua when he leaves home. And she should make dua for her husband when he leaves the home. That woman who... Mm, bids farewell to her husband with du'a, 
and receives and greets her husband's homecoming with dua, she can be hopeful that her husband's time outside of the home is sandwiched between her two duas. And if she's sleeping through it or she's busy, she doesn't even notice when she's gone. That's not team. That's not a team. So she should bid him farewell right up to the door. And all of you know this is a general sunnah. That when somebody was leaving Sayyidina's company, he would walk them to the door. So then when the husband is leaving the company home of the wife, then she should walk him up to the door. Number six is that before the husband comes home, and this I explained before, but now I will make it more clear. And then maybe after this point we will take a break. That before the husband returns, and generally the wife normally knows, roughly when the husband is going to return home, she should prepare for that. And the preparation for that means she should adorn herself with beauty. Mistake the women do, and mistake the men also do, some men that they let their wives do this, is that at home they wear average clothes. But when it's time to go out in public for some function, they get all dressed up. The Muslim woman should be completely opposite. Whenever she has to go outside, she should be completely dressed down. And inside her home for her husband, she can be dressed up. I tell, well, I mean, it's awkward for me to do it, but I'll do it anyway. So we tell the wives, in the presence of your husbands, that if next time he comes home, he finds you wearing your bridal type clothing, not necessarily the bridal clothing, but something like that, he will immediately show you attention and appreciation and affection. So you have to maybe not do it at that level every day, but there should be some preparation for his coming home. Should be some freshening up, should be some level of beautification for him coming home. And you will find this that women, even I've noticed when they were going to meet other women, right? I mean, well, I can't say what I've noticed because my wife isn't gave me strict orders that I cannot say anything that could even remotely be understood to be about anything about me. <laughs> right? I was given extremely strict instructions. Here, so perhaps one husband may have noticed about his wife that when she is going to meet other women, all of a sudden she's in front of the mirror, all of a sudden the makeup is coming out and the comb is being used and all of a sudden clothes are being changed and that husband may wonder that, oh, I wish I was one of those women that you were going to meet. <laughs> Right? So that level, so that's not bridal wear, what I meant was that, that when, the, when the women have their all ladies functions, don't you get a bit dressed up to go to them? I'm talking to the women, I'm looking at you, but I'm talking to them. Don't you get dressed up to go to those all ladies functions? At the very least, the amount of adornment and beauty you adorn yourself with when you go to the all ladies social gathering, at the very least, that's how much you should adorn yourself for your husband coming home. Now I'm getting some cheers from this side. Right? Yes? This is a big failure of the women. You don't do this. And this will cost you. You don't value the ni'mah Allah Santa has given you. Your beauty does not need to be adorned. You can do that for the all these gatherings. There's no problem with that. But it's foolish. I view it as absolutely nothing less than foolish. 
to always adorn yourself for the all-ladies gathering and to almost always fail to adorn yourself for your own husband. This is extremely foolish. should not be like that. should not be like that at all. You cannot expect your husband to have that level of wilaya taqwa, that no matter how you appear to him, he will still be attracted to you. You can't expect that because that's against sunnah. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that you have to make yourself such that you are pleasing. When he looks at you, you are pleasing to his heart. But it's when he looks at you. And again, you can just try it. I cannot enforce it. We can just suggest to the wives that they should try this. The same level they get dressed up for their fellow female friends. Just get dressed up at the same level every day for your husband before he comes to work. Comes back from work. This is a very important thing. So much so that Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah that when Sahaba Ikram used to come back from jihad fi Allah, he used to tell them that you should send a message ahead to your homes. Why? So that your wives can prepare for your arrival. Shows that it's Sunnah Ta'lim, Sunnah instruction to the wives that when the husband comes home there should be some preparation for that. There should be some preparation for his arrival. If you are living the lifestyle that the Prophet wants us to live, you will have a happily married life. And every drop that you leave that sunnah, you will have unhappy married life. It's not possible. You cannot say, no, I don't need to do that. There's no point in doing that. This doesn't apply to me. No. No one can say that about any single sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah So here, what we'll do is we'll take a break.